All right, so this passage of scripture, and there's another one that we'll be looking at among others, deals with this very concept of belief or unbelief or doubt. And, you know, after um, statements that were made last week um, from Gordon and Julie with regard to Ben, and Ben, I know you're here somewhere. There you are. I was looking around over there because I thought you were over there earlier. Um, this is not for just Ben, but for anyone that has ever had any doubts. And I saw some of you shaking your head like, I've gone through this. So this is not something new or unique to a limited amount of brethren, by the way. I've known a number of brethren that have struggled with doubt with regard to the faith, with regard to their own walk. And so I hope that this lesson will serve as encouragement for anyone that, that goes through and struggles with doubt and, and with that be blessed uh, as a result of this lesson. And so with that said, I want you to note, there's a number of passages, and this is not exhaustive by any means, but when you read the scriptures, these passages serve as encouragement or serve to um, provoke you bolstering your faith, right? Let's look at some of these passages that deal with our faith and, and the need for that faith to grow, to be convicted, and see if if when we come away with this, that it is encouraging, and yet we're going to see that not everyone comes away with that. In fact, some can be discouraged. But look at the passages with me. Matthew chapter 21. And of course, um, you know, when we look at the text over here, we can see, I think, a statement with regard to how Jesus looked at the nation of Israel. That's the main import. The way he viewed Israel was that they were being cut off because of unbelief. They were unfruitful because of their unbelief. And so here then it says in chapter 21 beginning in verse 18. Now in the morning as he returned to the city, that is to Jerusalem, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it, found nothing on it but leaves. And said to it, to the tree, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. I can imagine if you were just an eyewitness and you watch this tree literally wither away miraculously. And when the disciples saw it, as they were eyewitnesses, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? This is the same individuals that saw miracles taking place, by the way. They're marveling that Jesus speaks to a tree and instantly the tree does exactly what Jesus said for it to do. Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, how many of you come away encouraged by this passage? How many of you saying, I don't have that kind of faith? I mean, any mountains moved in the first century, let alone the 21st century? There are some that come away going, how could I ever have that kind of faith? How many of you would kind of get discouraged after reading a passage like that? 
Okay, I, there's a few. That happens. This is not the only passage. There are many others like that. Look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, of course, we're talking about the faith of Abraham and how this father of faith should be basically an example for us and our walk with the Lord. So here in, in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, as he's continuing talking about the promise that was given to Abraham, the passage with regard to the promise says in verse 20, he, with regard to Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was, not a, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. You will read of the promise that God had given to Abraham. And when you go back to that dialogue and that conversation, Abraham was basically saying, how is it possible, you know, me, I'm, I'm old. My wife, she's past child-bearing um, age. And how is it possible that we could have children? And, and of course, they're told that this is what's going to happen this time of year and, uh, or this time next year. According to Romans 4, he believed. He didn't waver. That's an amazing kind of faith. Remember what his wife did? It's not possible. She doubted. I mean, see that contrast between her statement... And if you look at when Mary was approached, young Mary saying, you're going to be pregnant, but it's not going to be by any man. Okay, as you say, Lord. I mean, <laughs> that kind of faith is just an amazing faith. And, and it serves as encouragement for the kind of faith that we can and should be able to have. But the reality is not everyone gets encouraged when reading this. They're like, ah. Why can't I have that? And, and the next person saying, you can. But I struggle because I don't have that. And so the reality is that we look at these passages that are meant to bolster our faith because that's what this was written for, for our benefit, so that we can have this kind of faith. James says in James chapter 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask in faith. Don't be double-minded as if, okay, yeah, and oh, no. And, and so we're like, okay, well, I need to have faith then that God's going to bless me when I, when I ask him in faith and by faith for these gifts that I may glorify his name so I may, may grow in him and be convicted about Jesus Christ, about my walk. Not everyone gets that way. Or how about when just serving the Lord? Romans chapter 14. Turn to Romans 14. Right? Romans chapter 14, you have in the body of Christ two groups of, of Christians, 
both love the Lord, both want to serve the Lord, but they're in separate camps as to what to do with regard to meats that have been eaten, or as he goes on to say later on with regard to drink. And so he's talking about, and, and not, those, not limited to those two, but even days, uh, holy days and what have you. He gives the illustrations to show that there are two that have great opinions about what they're doing. And then he says to them, with regard to the work that they have, not to destroy one another's work. He concludes everything in verses 22 and 23 and says, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. In other words, you know, if you can go ahead and eat that meat that had been offered to idols or had been sold in the marketplace, if I can just bring in a 1 Corinthians 8 type, um, and just, if you can eat that meat knowing that the idol is nothing, that you're not falling into idolatry, it's just meat, have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. The next person said, I'm not going to eat that meat because I love the Lord. And I believe that would be as, as, as if I were following after idols. Let him have his faith to himself. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. And some are like, well, I don't have a conviction about this. Am I sinning? Because it sure sounds like I'm sinning. And some walk away after having this going, everything was encouraging until verse 23. You know, I had my opinion or not, I don't even have a strong opinion. But now it's like if I'm not doing this out of faith, then I'm sinning. Brethren, we don't always read the passage in the same way. We don't walk away with the same view on Scripture. And that's why we have opposing views on opinions on various matters it happens and we're talking about brethren who love God coming to a conclusion that is not necessarily one in the same even though we are taught in other passages that we are of one mind or we should be of one mind and we try to apply it to every nuance and then we get into all these kinds of debates and and then we wonder is what I'm doing right is it wrong and so again, we, we look at these passages that are meant to bolster our faith. We are commanded to grow in grace and knowledge. We're commanded to do all kinds of things. And when we do, we wonder. I mean, we all want assurance of our own faith that we have. Right? Paul says to Timothy with regard to his own faith, that his faith was a genuine faith that he had gotten from his grandmother and his mother, but it was a genuine faith. We want to have that. We don't want others looking at our lives and seeing us as maybe hypocrites because we're saying one thing, but we don't always do what we say. Anyone ever guilty of, of believing something but not practicing what you believe? Brethren, every one of our hands should be raised at some point. Because we don't always do what we say. And sometimes we don't do what we hate. Again, I'm looking for Mr. Jimmy, Romans chapter 7. <laughs> sometimes we do the very things we hate and sometimes we don't do the things that we love. We want to be true to ourselves. And yet, we got questions. If we were to turn to a lot of passages in the Bible, you will see doubt among believers. Believers. 
in the scriptures. People who were followers of Jesus. And so here's what we do. Like the followers of Jesus, we continue to strive to grow in grace and knowledge. And we, we continue to open up his word, to study, to show ourselves approved before God. We do it so that we can have a hope that is within us that we should be able to explain to those who ask us about that hope. That's what we strive to do, right? I mean, if we have any sense of conviction about the faith that we have, we study God's word, we grow in God's word, we strive to live according to what we, what we read because we love God. That's what we do because we're told to grow in our faith. Well, look at these individuals. In, in Matthew chapter 14, here's the picture, right? Jesus um, is in the midst of this night in the lake, Galilee, right? And his disciples see this person coming toward them, walking on water. And, and of course, Jesus declares who he is. Peter says, Lord, if it really is you, command me to come to you. And of course, Jesus has come. Peter starts walking on water. Now, that's faith. I'm, the fact that he is walking on water, coming to Jesus who is also on water, that's miraculous stuff. When that storm rises and his eyes and attention turn away from Jesus and into the realm of doubt because of being scared of the circumstance, he begins to sink. There's something to be said for that doubt in that scenario that goes on in our lives. Brethren, how many times have you yourself, and I'll raise my hand with regard to this, where you see God has worked in your life, pulled you through various amazing circumstances, and you're faced with the next trial of your life, and then you have doubt creep in that can God pull me through this? Man, that's happened to me a number of times. And I'm wondering... Why is it that I don't trust God on this occasion when I've seen him pull me through all the previous ones? That happens. Happens to the best. We can talk about the conviction that Peter had. I'm not putting it up here, but remember there was a time when he denied Jesus Christ. Not because he truly denied him, but he was afraid of the people. I mean, yes, he did deny him, but you know what I'm saying. He still believed in Jesus. He just didn't want to be associated with Jesus when the rubber met the road and they saw his, he saw his Savior being scourged and being sent to death. So we see him denying him. You get scared. Right now I'm having a Bible study at the nursing home in the Gospel of Luke. If you look at verses 3 and 4 of Luke chapter 1, look at the reason why Luke writes to Theophilus. I've written you this orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Why? That you may know all things that you've already been taught. Now, there's two ways to look at this letter. Number one, you can look at it from a vantage point that Luke is writing to a Christian who needs to be reaffirmed of those things he had already been taught. And when you look at all the accounts, this is why Jesus is the Christ. And it's an amazing, amazing story in this letter we call the Gospel of Luke. The other way of looking at it, 
that some actually hold to this view, although I'm not one of them, but some do, and so I'm opening it up, is that he is not a Christian, but one who knows the teachings of Christ. And Luke is trying to get him to be convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This guy's a friend of God and needs to turn to him. If he is a Christian, then there's reasons why Luke is writing this, and that is because there's doubt. You have Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. And I can see some Christians going, is this even real? Look at how many leaders and how many people discount that Jesus is the Christ. And so Luke is having to reconfirm to his friend that he is. Or John chapter 20. Jesus has already been raised from the dead. It's a historical fact. If we believe the Bible to be true, he has already been raised from the dead. All the disciples that were there except for Thomas. Thomas was not there at this one particular occasion. And we pick up in John chapter 20. Of course, this is what was read for us um, already by by Josh. But I want you to go back to, to the gospel of John. John chapter 20. Look again what is said by Thomas. Verse 24. Thomas called the twin one of the twelve. He's an apostle. Was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. There was doubt in Thomas. Uh, I guess that's where the phrase comes from, right? <laughs> Doubting Thomas. How is it that an apostle who has seen all that Jesus had done had declared to them before he died, I'm going to send the Spirit? And he's teaching all these things about who he is, went to the cross and everything, and he's got all of these other disciples that he had spent these two, three years with. They saw Jesus. Their word was not good enough. He still had doubt. Of course, Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you've believed. This is the way some hearts work. I'll have to admit, when someone, and I've not had too many people that have said it to my face personally, when someone says to me, Mitch, miraculous gifts still exist today, put me in the camp of Doubting Thomas. Unless I actually see that, I, I don't have that conviction. And I remember my roommate in college, this was before I was a Christian, he would come back, yeah, we had this big, I and mean, he was with the Assembly of God, and, and they had this miraculous things take place. And I'm looking at him like he was crazy. You know, I, I'm not a Christian, but... I, I don't see any of these things. And since then, I've, I've been in examples, uh, illustrations, and one particular uh, woman that I had Bible studies with in Georgia, and she was wheelchair-bound, where she said, Mitch, I'm going to go to this revival. They got a faith healer, and, and um, this guy is going to heal me in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And I said, oh my, I forgot her name now. I said, I'm sorry, I don't have the same conviction you have. I, I actually hope that I'm wrong. I would love that there are faith healers today. I really, and I mean that sincerely even right now as I speak this in the pulpit. That'd be great. There's a lot of people that I want, I want healed. But I said to her, I don't have that conviction. And on top of that, you may get hurt if you go to this place, if you try and get up out of your wheelchair. She went to that service. She did get up out of the wheelchair. Brethren, she stood up for less than a second. She fell and broke her hip. Her conviction was so strong. Her belief that she would be healed was so strong. Brethren, she got up a second time and broke her other hip. I'm not kidding you when I tell you this story. She was in tears when I spoke to her again. She said, Mitch, I, I was convinced. In fact, she still believed she could be healed. She was told her faith was not strong enough. You know, it's moments like this. You have people who discount Christianity altogether. If this guy is a fraud, maybe Christianity is a fraud. And you, you start getting doubt in your mind about because you see what others are going through. Well, there's reason why there's doubts. For whatever was going on in Thomas's life, he was not going to be convinced unless he saw. Jesus said, hey, you believe because you saw. Blessed are those who do not see and still they believe. It may not be logical. I mean, how does someone become alive when they've already died? It's just not logical. It doesn't compute well. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, I'm not sure. I've, I've missed this passage for many years. I've only now saw this passage. I've read Matthew 28. I can't even tell you how many times. And verse 17 of Matthew chapter 28 says that there were some disciples who doubted. This is after Jesus was raised. Look at that passage and read it with me. That way we, we're not only reading Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. We can now remember verses 16 and 17. Right? Matthew chapter 28. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. What would they doubt? Well, there's only one conclusion. Their doubt that that's Jesus. <laughs> And, of course, that's when Jesus said, I, this is who I am, and all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here's what I want you to do. There's some who doubted, not just Thomas. These are the 11 disciples, you know, 12 minus Judas. Many believers we can read in Scripture had doubts. Some of the great names that profess Christianity, you'll read, great doubts some of you like the books or movies of c.s lewis the doubter in the name of those who profess christianity many other names big names um, that you'll read of but or know of there are many who profess that struggle with it even in their walk with the lord so i want you to see what this word is um, I know Richard loves, you know, definitions and what have you. Definitions can only go so far. Definitions are just that. They define what that term means, but you don't know what that means unless you see context to it. 
And sometimes when you look at that word unbelief, that word unbelief is used in a context as sin. And then there are times that unbelief is just that, a doubt. Not one who has rejected Jesus, but struggles with the faith that they have. Look at this. There is, and, and this is my way of phrasing it, acceptable unbelief. That happens with disciples. And condemning unbelief. That happens even with disciples. Why don't you read these passages with me? In Mark chapter 9, we're going to read of that passage um, of this, this man whose, whose son he was wanting to have healed. Read with me because this is one of the best passages that you can show a variety of the word unbelief or doubt. And I believe we'll see that in this text. Mark chapter, chapter 9, verse 14 following. Speaking of Jesus, he came to the disciples in verse 14. He saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. So keep in mind, you've got scribes disputing with the disciples of Jesus. Immediately when, he saw, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeting him. And he asked the disciples, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then he brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he, the father, said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, to the father, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. And notice this man's response. The father of the child cries out. And with tears, he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't that where many of us today are? When we're in situations, we believe, and yet that does not mean that every, every fiber of our being has this conviction that he is able to get us through with whatever at times. At times, we may still lack belief. I mean, otherwise, we're talking about a double-tongued or double-minded man. I believe, I don't believe. That's not what he's saying. I believe, help where I lack in my belief. Help my unbelief, in other words. He is crying out for help. And he wants to believe that his son could be made well. But for all these years, his son has been in this state and it pains him. 
we read further in the passage and we, we see this contrast. In verse 28, when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately after he had cast out this uh, spirit. Why couldn't we cast it out? He said, this is the kind that comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. In other words, they needed more faith. They had faith. They were trying to cast out this spirit through faith. They couldn't do it. He says, you need to really be even more intentional. You need to pray and fast about this. That's how important this is. There's level of doubt. Even with belief. There are a number of Christians that believe certain things and struggle in other areas of their walk. Some Christians struggle when reading passages like creation. Others don't struggle. They're just like, that's the way I interpret it. But others struggle. They're like, how is that possible? Others like, how is it that the sun can go this way and not that way? And I mean, we're talking about God. It's an amazing thing because we, we talk about God so nonchalant at times when, when we're actually digesting and confronting these things, it pauses us at times and causes us to sit back going, how is that even possible? You contrast that with those who disputed with the disciples, the detractors, verse 14. We read of many passages where Jesus condemned these scribes, the Pharisees, the synagogue leaders, the lawyers, because they reject him. Hebrews chapter 3. I want you to look at Hebrews 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says this. Brethren, beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And therein lies the context, the qualification, the caveat of condemning unbelief. It is an evil heart of unbelief. Not a heart that says, Lord, I believe in you, but I struggle with my belief. That's a very big difference. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. This is a person who has an evil heart of unbelief. Like the detractors who wanted Jesus dead. I hope you can see that difference, brethren. This should give you not just hope, but peace, to know that when you struggle with unbelief, you know that, hey, I'm not the only one. And yes, the Lord doesn't want me to stay in this realm of unbelief. He wants me to grow in grace and knowledge. And that's why we're told to grow in grace and knowledge. That we're, that's why we're told to spend time dwelling upon his words and dwelling upon his truths. Because it builds up our convictions. But that doesn't mean that we won't have moments or, or seasons in our life where we struggle. It happens to so very many who belong to the Lord. So here's some, some things I want to share with you, some help. That's all that I can do is just suggest these things. It's going to be up to you. And if you take them and, and hopefully can, can work these through your life, maybe you'll be able to grow from unbelief and doubt, if you will. But focus your faith on Christ, not on Christians. I mean, how many Christians have you know that have let you down? <laughs> At some point, just about everyone. At some point, we're told, let 
let God be true and every man a liar in Romans chapter 3, verse 4. I mean, that's, that's truth. I mean, if, if Christianity, the, if the truth of Christianity is based upon our faithfulness to God, brethren, we won't need a Savior. We need a Savior because we're not perfect. We fall short of the glory of God. We, we say this many, many times, but it's so true. Even in our faithfulness, we're not always faithful and just. There are times in which we, we don't have that conviction that we profess to have. Not, it's not displayed as it is in word and tongue. It may not always come out in deed. I mean, brethren, if we were, you know, we talk about evangelism. I, from the pulpit, preach about evangelism. And I look at times where I'm not evangelistic. I encourage you, I exhort you very zealously to be evangelistic. You're not always evangelistic. We talk about being faithful to the Lord. Not lying, not cheating, not stealing, not, I mean, just all these different things. And, and doing these things in the name of righteousness, we don't always do what we believe is right. And that's why we have sorrow still. We've got this war battling on between flesh and spirit. So focus on Christ. Our salvation and our hope lies in him anyway, not in anyone else. Focus on passages that from your vantage point is crystal clear, not the ones that you struggle with per se. I'm not saying you cannot deal with those things, but focus on those simple truths like, for instance, bedrock truth. That is, I mean, it just divides the believers from unbelievers. John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. It's an either-or proposition. It's a very exclusive statement. Either salvation comes through Christ or not. But we get into all the different areas that we struggle with. I've heard it from some of you during our class on our study in the Holy Spirit. Why are we spending time on this? Because, you know, we can never get into a conclusive answer and it just seems like we're spinning our wheels and that happens. I mean, there are times when we need to have iron sharpen iron. That's the whole reason for Bible study. It's okay to ask these kinds of questions. But yeah, you're right. At some point, it becomes futile because we speculate rather than have these bedrock truths. But bottom line is, we need to trust in his words with regard to our salvation that is found in him, not in how good we are, but in, in him, in his blood, and the cross. That's why we have John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, that these things that are written is so that we may believe that he is the Christ. They wouldn't have to be written if, if it was so easy. You know, just believe. But man, there were all these illustrations of Jesus' life. All these illustrations of those who gave up their lives teaching that Jesus is the Christ. We read that in the book of Acts. And we read of all the exhortations and the rebukes in all the letters of those who gave their lives because they believed that Jesus is the Christ. That's why we have what we call the New Testament brethren. Because not only is it the message of the gospel, it is a message given to Christians who would waver in their faith. 
Among other reasons, that's what we have. And so I say this to both believers and would-be believers because not everyone who hears this sermon, whether here this morning or as they stream it or however they play it on, on the computers, are all Christians. But some of them may turn to the Lord. And so if you're here and you're a believer but you struggle with, with your maybe lack of faith at times, you're not the only one. Ben, I'm so glad that you have a mom and dad who love you so much that would write this letter so we can be praying for you and for your mom and your dad. You're not the only one that struggles with this. You're well-loved. And our desire is to encourage you, especially as you go off to college. But as I say this to Ben, I'm telling you, brethren, if you struggle, have the courage and the boldness to say, I struggle, so that we can pray with you and for you, so we can love on you, so we can hold your hand. I mean, the fact that that we have a young brother that wants to, or we have this young man who's just has great intelligence saying, that's me, I struggle, and I'm letting you know about it. Wow, that's, that's a great opportunity for us to open our hearts to him. And for those who may be here, and I don't know whether you've obeyed the gospel or not, but you may be struggling with, well, is Jesus really the Christ? You know, is, do I have to be the one that has to have this kind of faith that we're reading of in Scripture? I mean, you're told to grow in faith, yes. But we're not all at the same place in our convictions. In fact, sometimes we're like this in our convictions. But that's why we have these sermons. To prick your heart to come to faith. A living and abiding faith. Even if not a faith that is perfected, so to speak, on your end. But it hopefully can be growing. But you have to come to the Lord first. And that's our desire for you. In fact, that's the request. We have this invitation that you're invited to come to die with Christ in the likeness of his death through these watery, uh, the, this watery grave right here. We've got a baptistry right here. And that you come up by the way, you would, we have these baptismal clothing, just in case you don't know. <laughs> when I was baptized, I didn't realize there was such things. Um, but we had these garments. When you, you come in and out of that water and you rise to walk in newness of life, you're saying that you're dedicating your life to Jesus Christ. And that when you died with him in that burial, you raise up with him in his resurrection. That's the likeness that you have. And that has been commanded for all who would come to live by faith in Jesus Christ. That's your invitation. And if you're here and you are a Christian, by all means, if you want our prayers, we'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. Take advantage of this invitation right now. It's together we stand and sing.